And welcome back to another episode of Third and Manageable. I am Shem Hanks. And I'm Dan Hanks. And we are going to be reviewing a Denver Bronco game, an actual game that happened during the regular season. It's a real game with real football players, and uh, I was pretty excited for this game. I was, I was feeling the love. I texted you before the game, and I was like, has, it, has today lasted a month? Right. In really week one of the preseason, or of the preseason, of the regular season is one of my favorite weeks. Just, yeah, you know, you get that Thursday night game, you get that little feel of football, and then that Sunday is like Christmas Eve for me. Up early, I'm excited. I'm watching all the pregame stuff, watching the actual games, getting the red zone working. But it was weird thinking back and looking back at those like Facebook memories that yep. I really haven't watched a week one of preseason or preseason of regular season for quite some time. Yeah, because we're usually at the game in Denver because we usually are getting uh, opening opening weekend. Yeah, and so the Broncos have been playing at home for opening day since, what, before Tim Tebow? Uh, yeah, it's been some time. And so this kind of shows how far they've fallen in that they're on the road against Oakland, but it is Monday Night Football, the last Monday Night Football game in Oakland, so it is kind of fitting that it's the Denver Broncos playing. Yeah, there's a lot of good storyline coming into this game. I think it was a nice um, kind of historical, relevant, uh, old-school rivalry. And uh, I was I was excited for it. I was working out of town on Monday and got back in time to get to watch the whole game. And let's get into it. What's, uh, how, how are we going to break this down? All right, so let's start out with the elephant in the room. The Oakland Raiders ended up winning. The Oakland Raiders won a football game on Monday night versus the Denver Broncos. Right. They won by eight points, 24 to 16. Uh, we're going to kind of break this game down by position groups, talk about it as a whole. So the Oakland Raiders got up quick in this game. They were up 14 nothing going into halftime. Uh, it was very reminiscent of what we've had to deal with with the last couple of years with offensive inefficiency. And then we go into the second half and the Broncos make a little comeback. They score a touch. Oh no, they don't score a touchdown. They get a couple of field goals and then they score a touchdown in the fourth quarter, get another field goal. Listen, we'll praise Brandon McManus later in the show, but (laughs) uh, Denver Broncos end up not being able to make a stop in the under two minutes to go. So they don't even get the chance to go down and try and get that touchdown two point conversion. Yeah. So I think there's lots of different ways to tell the story of the game. Uh, I've been, I, I appreciated Ed McCaffrey's breakdown of the game and it sort of made sense to me. The Broncos only had eight possessions all game. And the the Oakland Raiders had eight possessions, but the last one they're kneeling on. So they only had seven possessions. So the actual number of possessions that we're talking about over the course of a game is pretty small. And um, I think that there's sort of a mixed bag. I think the frustration for... You and I, and if you go on Twitter, it looks like maybe 7 million Broncos fans are upset that the game kind of looks like games from last year. Yeah. Um, I think there's some subtle differences. Um, everyone's going to point to different moments of difficulty in this game, but I felt like, in you know, I threw, threw away the first drive, but the second and third drive, both drives were moving the ball and then had holding penalties that moved them the second time out of field goal range or on the second drive. And then on the third drive into a desperation deep kick. And that uh, pattern of having holding penalties push us out of field goal range or change the course of the game. 
That is a holdover from last season. Get it? The holdover? Holding holdover. Yeah. That was good. Yeah. That was my most brutal holdover was the actual lapses, those penalties that are unforced errors. Um, and I think that the whole game's different if we get to kick a couple of decent field goals there in the first half. All right. So let's talk position groups. Let's start with the quarterback. Yeah. New quarterback this year, Joe Flacco. Six foot six, the guy who looks like a standing statue, where when you see him <laughs> running outside the pocket, you kind of cringe. It looks like when Brady or any of the Manning brothers or me tries to run. <laughs> but uh, Joe Flacco actually has a pretty good game on paper. So it goes yeah. 21 for 31, 268 yards, and a touchdown. Not bad. Yeah, not bad. Uh, he, You were telling me the Case Keenum stat before? Yeah, so he ends up with a rating over 100 for the game, 105 Joe Flacco. And Keenum didn't have a game over 100 uh, all last season, so in none of his games. Of course, Keenum did have a very good game this week after he's not a Bronco. Classic. But, yeah, definitely classic. Uh, but... I'm going to give Joe Flacco a B plus. And I've listened to a lot of feedback on this game. And a lot of people have been pretty rough on, on Flacco. Um, I thought that Joe Flacco did a lot of what we actually brought him in to do. Uh, no interceptions, good game management. There was, I thought there was some moments of rust. It's a couple times where he's missing guys, throwing behind him. Um, clearly, his physical mobility. I thought maybe he's, this may sound weird, but I think maybe he's lost a step. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, it does sound weird. <laughs> yeah, you know, he's sort of got a history of being maybe sort of a stone statue that's pushed around the field by his offensive linemen, but he literally was a stone statue when he went for that quarterback sneak. Oh, I mean, yeah. he was, he just stood there. It was like, guys, grab me. Uh, I've never <laughs> that was seen... the worst quarterback sneak I've ever seen. I had never seen anything like that. And it was as though that was his strategy. I'm just going to stand here and <laughs> someone, I hope someone pushes my gigantic frame <laughs> over that touchdown line. But I think that, uh, I actually still was pleased. And again, maybe I'm jaded because I've watched the quarterbacks for the last two years just play terrible. You know, he, he avoided the the turnovers. He moved the ball. He set up the plays well. He was a game manager. And we've had game managers the last two years who were really bad at managing the game. Yeah, the last, what, three years now, four years? I can't even keep track. How long does yeah, Trevor Semi right. in yeah, the quarterback? Right. And then and, and even the last Manning year is really a, a true. Game, game management year. So, you know. This... I actually wondered the stat, uh, if you were to go back, when the last time the Broncos played without a guy throwing an interception. Yeah, well, I, since I was doing all this uh, Keenum research, he did go on a streak in the middle of the season – uh, and we were winning some games in the middle of the season where he went a few games without throwing interceptions. There were a few games in the middle of the season last year. Um, and, you know, it was more likely than not that we won when, when we didn't throw an interception. One thing that stood out to me with Joe Flacco was, and we'll get into this player a little bit later, it was his passes to Cortland Sutton, where mm -hmm. Cortland Sutton, big guy, six foot four, all of a sudden this ball is just going up high at Joe Flacco throwing at six six, and yeah. all Sutton has to do is kind of reach his arms up. They're not like that Case Keenum, Trevor Simeon, where the ball is kind of like an airplane taking off, <laughs> right. going up where the defensive line could easily just bat down the ball. You're, right not really going to be batting down a lot of balls at the line of scrimmage when Joe Flacco's throwing it at you. 
Yeah, and you know, for him maybe having lost a step, you know, he's, he had some zip on the ball. So there's some passes coming in hot, and although there were a few passes that were kind of off and errant, there's a handful of other passes that I thought really hit some tight windows that Keenum and and Simeon just could not hit the last couple of years. Right. And it really took the entire first half into the second half for him to actually take a couple of deep shots. Yeah. Where that's one of the Flacco strengths is, well, really strong arms. So he launches the ball down the field, but he does throw a nice deep ball compared to what we've seen over the last four years. Right. So we see him hit Emmanuel Sanders deep in the second half. And truthfully, if he throws that probably a yard further, that's a touchdown. Um, so he actually underthrows him a touch. On the other hand, it's a throw that we haven't had a quarterback in some time who could make that yeah. throw happen. So, for, yeah. So what I like is I think that him rusty means he makes that pass, and it's not a touchdown. If he can clean that up just a notch. And I think he's capable of it. Then, then Sanders runs in for a touchdown on that play. Yeah, and um, I mean, he is the quarterback, so the Broncos once again were struggling in the red zone. Yeah, couldn't punch the ball in, just going field goal, field goal, field goal. Which, granted, isn't terrible if you can stop the other team from scoring touchdowns, but. The Broncos weren't exactly doing that, and so they really needed Joe Flacco to be able to punch it in, where mm-hmm. it seemed like, very similarly to last year, wasn't happening. Get into the red zone, things stall. Yep. All right, so let's move on to the... What, what's your what's oh, your grade for sorry. Flacco grade? That's right. I was going to give him a B-. minus. All right. You go B+, plus, I go B-. minus. We split the difference, he's a B. Solid B. Which, granted, like what you were saying, isn't the worst thing for Bronco quarterbacks in we what they We had a C. We had a C all last year. For a couple of years now. Yeah. And how this team is composed, they if they have a B quarterback, they're not looking too bad this year. But, right. uh, oh, one... Uh, Joe Flacco thing I was going to mention is during the Antonio Brown saga of Saturday, the Denver Broncos uh, restructured Joe Flacco's deal right? where they opened up about $13 million this year. Yeah. And it did make uh, some folks in the Twitterverse wonder, well, are they going to get Antonio Brown? Cause that seems bad. Yeah, that was an interesting move to restructure his contract. And the timing was, it probably had nothing to do with each other. They're probably just coincidence. Um, Obviously, we're excited that, you know, if there was a, you know, if there is a big free agent, maybe there's some money there. Um, It'll be interesting to see if anything comes of that. Yeah, and there were rumors that maybe the Broncos were interested in former All-Pro left tackle Trent Williams with the Washington Redskins, who have been who has been holding out the entire yeah. year. I'm I'm interested in that. Yeah, that doesn't sound too bad. Yeah, I'll take him. The interesting part too with the Flacco deal is right now Joe Flacco or before this contract extension Joe Flacco had no guaranteed money for next year. Mm. Now he does. Mm. And so my theory on it is that Elway actually likes Flacco and wants to keep him around for a couple of years and actually does yeah. like Locke and wants him to truly develop for multiple years. Well, I think the other thing was they probably saw enough of Locke to know he is that raw. And maybe early on, coming into the season, they were maybe more optimistic or at least keeping kind of more of an open mind that might switch faster. I think we're looking at Flacco, you know, for obviously two years for sure, and maybe beyond, depending on how it goes. So I think that, I think you're right. It actually adds some stability to Flacco. 
And uh, I hope it means an offensive lineman I would go for in a heartbeat. That would be a great way to spend the money. Yes. Um, a run, a run stopper. I would, you know, I'd, I'd pay for that too. And speaking of run stopper, let's talk running backs. Great. Stopper back. Yeah, it's the same thing. All right. So I've been talking all off season. This is third and manageable episode, like 21 or 22, something like that. I'm sure you can go back and find me saying many, many times that I expected that this Denver Bronco backfield was going to be a committee. A lot of people were anointing Philip Lindsay, who did not watch a lot of Bronco preseason or training camps. They are going to split this backfield. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened in this game. Philip Lindsay gets 11 carries. Royce Freeman gets 10. When I was watching this game, I kept saying that Royce Freeman should be getting more touches in this game than Philip Lindsay because it was tough sledding up front. We needed a guy who could go up and dole out some punishment. Mm-hmm. Philip Lindsay was getting swept up by that defensive line of the black hole. And hey, Royce Freeman doled it right back at people. He ended up as the better running back. He had 10 carries, 56 yards, got that 5.6 yard per average. Unfortunately, didn't score a touchdown. And then Philip Lindsay, the annoying part of last year was Philip Lindsay looks like he's 5'6 on a good day. And they keep trying to run him up the middle. (laughs) Stop (laughs) running Philip Lindsay up the middle. You're going to break him. Haven't you watched Darren Sproles play his entire career? Don't let Philip Lindsay get gobbled up. Yeah, that's right. Philip Lindsay has uh, more of a struggle in this game. 11 carries, 43 yards, has that 3.9 yard per average, or yards per carry average. So, I guess uh, the running back group as a whole... I'll give a B minus as well. Mm. So first off, you called it. They truly split the carries, 10 to Royce Freeman, 11 to Philip Lindsay. You also called it in that they were going to put Lindsay out for some catching. And it was good to see him getting some opportunities for some, you know, mostly dump off passes, you know, a uh, opportun- couple opportunities in the flat. Left uh, but- Booker on the bench, just let yeah. Lindsay have all those catches finally. Yeah, and it, I think it really adds diversity when he's in the game because then you have to guard the run more, where Booker, you just know it's pass when Booker's in. So uh, Lindsay ends up with four receptions, 23 yards, and we end up with a running back performance that if this was one running back instead of split between two, we would see that as a, a really strong performance because we end up, um, I guess between the two actual running backs with 99 yards. You add in Flacco, you get 100. You add in Noah Fant, you get 95. Which, uh, speaking of cause... dumb things, the very first play running play of the game was to Noah Fant for negative five yards. Yeah, I don't think we're going to be grading the coaching staff on this, but <laughs> I do think there's an argument to be made that the uh, there were some offensive coordinator calls that were a little too cute. And I think of the uh, cuteness, that first play where there's that instant handoff to Fant, um, you know, that was, that was, that didn't work well, but I'm going to give, I'm going to give this and I'm going to go a whole grade level above. I'm going to go a minus. All right. You talked me into it. I'll move mine to a B, <laughs> just a straight B. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to go to A minus, and the reason was I actually thought that this was a tough, like you're saying, this was, they had some tough running. I thought the Raiders came ready to play, and there was not a lot of holes being broken open. And Lindsey's small, but he did a good job to keep moving. He's a tough tackle, and I think with his receiving improvement, I really see that as an A minus. Um, and I think Freeman had a good game. I think the 56 yards off 10 carries is solid. And I think that, like you said, he put put a little more smash mouth football in that game. And um, 
thought he had a good game. I think there's a lot to write home about this rushing attack. And I think that uh, as the offensive line gets better, I think we're going to be looking at um, um, continued strong rushing attack. This is the kind of rushing attack that is necessary for the Denver Broncos to win. Um, and so I think that uh, I, this is an A minus for me. I feel like that the rushing was actually pretty solid. So speaking of the offensive line, let's talk about them for a little bit. Okay. So Garrett Bowles struggles at times, but he did not have any penalties in this game. Hey. hey, unfortunately, you talked about other penalties, which Ronald Leary, yep. uh, very nice to actually see him play a full game, a guy who's oh, had injury problems and yep. has been billed as the best Denver Bronco offensive lineman for about two years, three years. To This is his third year with the Broncos. So uh, nice to see that he played a game, but he had also had a really bad holding penalty. Speaking of Noah Fant also had a really bad, terrible, two really bad ones. He had the block in the back and a holding. That's right. But the big news on the offensive line is that right tackle who the Broncos at the time made the highest paid right tackle in football when they signed him this off season it was since passed by Oakland Raider Trent Brown. But Juwan James had a knee injury. Whenever you see an offensive lineman go down and immediately start holding his knee, it's not a good thing. Yeah. But NFL Network's Ian Rappaport is reporting that it is not a season-ending injury and that he'll miss some weeks, but we don't know how many. That's good news. Yeah, that, uh, nice that he's not out for the year. Uh, wish that he was around still. But that offensive line definitely looked like a unit that needed some improvement. Good thing yes. we've got the best offensive line coach in football. Yep. Now, the Oakland Raiders, they ended the game with three sacks. But the feeling that I had was that Oakland was really in the breadbasket of Joe Flacco for most of the game. Uh, However, one member of the Oakland Raiders, Benson Mayoa, Benson Mayoa had two sacks. Benson Mm -hmm. Mayoa has been in the league for seven years. And where was he a graduate of? Uh, Eastern Washington. University of Idaho. Oh, I didn't know. Yeah, U of I guy got two sacks in the game. That's awesome. But he's a Raider, and I can't even say his name right, so we might not talk about him ever again. That sounds reasonable, too. Three three sacks on the game. Um, I think that the number of sacks by the defense is a pretty effective way to grade um, your team. So if you give up a sack, then you go down a letter grade. Um Let's see, A, B, yeah, I'm going to give him a D. Oh, wow. I'm going to give him a D because, like you said, I actually think that they were up in uh, Flacco's business a lot. I actually thought that the running game was not as strong as it could have been from a blocking perspective. Um, I think that there's a lot of work to be done on the offensive line. And it's great to see that Bowles doesn't get – a holding multi, but it's terrible that Leary's uh, holding and keeping us from a field goal. So, um, you know, I'm giving a D to this offensive line. And, yep. Yeah. D for the offensive line. I was going to go C minus, so we're right there. Yeah. All right. Now, a group that did perform well was the Denver Bronco receiving core. Cortland Sutton has a big game, seven receptions, 120 yards. Manuel Sanders has five receptions, 86 yards, and that single touchdown. Uh, Noah Fant in his debut, as we said, struggled on holding penalties and a terrible block in the back, but has two receptions, 29 yards. You talked about Philip Lindsay having a good game. 
Royce Freeman caught a ball. And then there's Deshaun Hamilton. Deshaun Hamilton caught a 100% once-in-a-game touchdown. It hit him right in the numbers. He just had the jitters in the game or something and drops the ball. Brutal. Brutal. So as I'm as I'm listening to a lot of feedback around the league after the game, a lot of people are saying, hey, if Deshaun Hamilton catches that ball, it changes everything. Now I look at the Deshaun Hamilton drop and the two penalties that rob us of field goals, and I think we're looking at a 13-point swing that we were in position for. And that's without the, you know, maybe momentum advantages if some of those plays would have come through. So um, when you miss a catch like that, it's, you know, I think it has a, it's, it's demotivating. I think it takes the player's energy down a level and uh, it was, it was brutal. Um, Flacco throws with some pop. You know, it was a fastball, fastball, nice window, a uh, little slant route into the end zone. Um, perfect. I'm sure they practice that exact play in practice. What do you think? 50 times a week? I mean, sure. that's just probably like, yeah, probably like the, one of the most ran routes by them in practice. One piece of bad news, as well as the Deshaun Hamilton thing. So two pieces of bad news uh, is that Tim Patrick broke his left hand, and it will require surgery. It is not expected to be season-ending. There is a timeline on the injury of six to eight weeks. So he is a candidate to be put on the IR, but could come back. The weird part about the comeback rule is that the Broncos already have Theo Riddick, Drew Locke, and Jake Butt on the IR and they can only bring two guys back. So if they put Patrick on the IR, he's probably done for the rest of the year. Right. Hmm. But it seems like Juwan Winfrey is going to be activated and actually play in the game against the Bears, so maybe the rookie will show something. That's good. Yeah, so uh, for my... what's, What's your grade? Yeah, so for my grade for this group... I talked about early in the show that Cortland Sutton, I felt like, had an amazing game. Uh, Manuel Sanders had a great second half. For some reason, Flacco and the offense wasn't really going through him in the first half, unfortunately. But I would say the group minus Deshaun Hamilton would be at an A- minus for me. With the bad Deshaun Hamilton drop, I think that goes to a solid B. Yeah, so I've got him at a B as well. I think if Deshaun Hamilton catches that, I give him an A. You drop a pass, you get down a letter grade, yeah. and you move you move straight to a B. I think it's a Cortland Sutton coming out party, though, and I hope this is just the beginning of things to come. Um, Fant, uh, you know, there's some, there's some glimpses there, so I hope to keep seeing that, and I like that they're throwing the Lindsay. So, uh Man, I hope that this motivates Hamilton to be different. Of course, we saw some kind of some B-grade receivers in Denver for a long time that we kind of kept hoping would turn the corner and didn't. So the Deshaun Hamilton drop kind of reminds me of some other play we've seen from receivers. And I hope that's not a sign of things to come. I'm hoping that the coaching staff takes this group forward and that we don't just settle with a B-level receiving core. Here's to hoping. So the high point of the Denver Broncos team this year was supposed to be its defense. They, mm-hmm. uh, even uh, Steve Levy at the beginning of the game said that they expected the Denver Broncos to be a top 10 defense this year. Vic Fangio, one of the best defensive coordinators in football, takes over the team, already has a bunch of talent on it. This could be a unique situation. And it felt like the Defense didn't really show up for the game. So for me, let's just do this. Let's start with the front seven. Let's just talk about D-line and linebackers. 
And so on the D line, uh, Gotsis made a couple of plays, uh, but I felt like Wolf and Shelby Harris weren't really as involved in the game as I would have expected. But when you look at the stats, Josh Jacobs, the running back for the Oakland Raiders, has 23 carries, has 85 yards, has the two touchdowns, but those numbers aren't all that good. He only had 3.7 yard per average, so he only had a couple of those big plays, but for the most part, that defensive line was holding up against the run. It was really the pass that was screwing over the Broncos. And some of that goes to the linebackers, where I forgot Von Miller was in the game. I kept waiting for it to be Miller time, but he kept getting blocked by Trent Brown. Like, he couldn't get to Carr whatsoever. Uh, Bradley Chubb had the nice pass deflection, but once again, couldn't get after the quarterback. The Broncos finish with zero sacks and zero quarterback hits. Not going to win many games as the Denver Bronco defense without sacking the quarterback. Uh, yeah, so I think there's lots of ways to break down the defensive results. But one of the things that I found um, really difficult was the Raiders were 10 and 14 on third down, uh, 10 of 10 of 14. And so they were completing all these third down possessions. So you're right, the running game looks like good numbers. A lot of people are talking about how strong the Raiders run game was. But truthfully, there's a lot of short runs. But there is an argument to be made. There's a big difference between if you get a three yard per average carry and you get it every single time that you run versus you get zero and then you get six and then you get zero and then you get six. And it felt to me like a lot of those Jacobs runs were coming out at three yards and the Oakland Raiders kept getting over and over to third and manageable. Uh... <laughs> now we know that's why we like it we know that that's a consistent way to play you put yourself into these long drives you get lots of possession and so these very short runs while they're clearly not intentionally only running three yards at a time it seemed like josh jacobs is really getting a lot of runs that are about three or four yards he ends up with a 3.7 average his long is only a 13-yard long, so he's got a lot of shorter runs, and he put them in a lot of good positions. But so on the front, you know, you're talking about the defense. On the front, we could not get the Raiders off the field. And you talk about guys like Wolf and Miller and Chubb. My feeling was those are the leaders of, of the defense, and they seemed flat. They seemed... There was something missing in terms of energy, something missing in terms of intensity. And um, it was, I think that was probably the most disappointing thing of the entire game. Yeah, and you talk a lot about Derek Wolf, where he gets mad and they're in his way. And just didn't really see that from Derek Wolf in this game. Yeah, you need that guy to get upset. You need him to get pissed. Um, you know, it's one of the challenges on this team. Um, I talk a lot about like the guys that I really felt made a gigantic difference, let's say in the Broncos Super Bowl run, when we have guys like TJ Ward and Aqib Tlaib, guy that really got upset. So now our leaders on this team, guys like Vaughn Miller and Chris Harris, they're kind of calm laid by back guys. Yeah. And you know, I, who's going to, who's going to fire people up? And if it's not, if Wolf doesn't get somebody, people fired up, who's it going to be? We've got to get some fire in that group. And they just looked like they just could not get it going. And truthfully, even on offense, we see some of the same, same stuff. Flacco, who looks like a pretty easy going guy. <laughs> you know? um, and, you know, who's upset? Who's, who's bringing the energy to this team right now? Yeah. And I was thinking about that earlier where we're really missing that TJ Ward guy who goes a little bit crazy. Like you need a little bit of crazy on defense, someone who will fire everyone up. We don't even have 
with TJ Ward, he was kind of that that thump thump guy where he would come up and just lay someone out and get everyone jazzed about the game. But don't really have that. Uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, one player I forgot to mention was the starting inside linebacker for the Broncos in this game, and that was Josie Jewell. He led all players on both teams with tackles. He had 14-7 solo. So he was heavily involved in the game, and a lot of that was in the run game. With that being said, projected starting inside linebacker Todd Davis, who got hurt early in training camp, is going to be coming back, or at least he has practiced today and says that he feels good. And so, hey, maybe he's the savior we all want for this uh, Broncos defense. Huh? Huh? Todd Davis? Huh? <laughs> Was it just me or did Corey Nelson have a really bad game? Oh, really bad. Sure. Corey Nelson, bad. I mean, it was... I mean, Josie Jewell's getting 14 tackles, partially because he's tackling for two. <laughs> right. When you're playing a 3-4 scheme and... Uh, one linebacker's got 14 and the other one's got one. It's not going good. Yeah, it seemed like I, I, was, I think that one of the things to be happy about is the tackling of Josie Jewell. But I think you're kind of seeing a problem that he was in positions where he had to do a lot more tackling than he, we, you want. You want a much better balance between those, those inside guys. All right. So what uh, grade are you giving the front seven? Oh, this is, you know... You know, this is like grading on a curve here. You know, I think that this, you know, we look at Chubb and Von Miller. Those guys are A-level talent. Everyone in the league would kill to have Chubb and Miller coming off the ends. And to not knock anybody down, you know, they did not let the Raiders run over them. So I'm going to end up with a C, but um, yeah, I'm going to give them a C on this one. Yeah, and I'm going to give them a C minus, and the only reason why it's not lower is because they didn't do a bad job against the run. Like <laughs> Historically, this is a scenario where Josh Jacobs runs for 200 yards. <laughs> and right. so that they didn't let that happen, not terrible, but this is a group built on their ability to get to the quarterback and they just couldn't get it done. Yep, when, you know, the whole team is built around this model and um, for us to be elite, we're going to be a playoff level team. We probably need to be, you know, what do you think, top five in sacks? Oh, yeah, top five in sacks, top five in overall defense. It's... Yep. To be a playoff team, that's where we need to be. And you can't go without not even, you know, they didn't even knock anybody down. Not even, I mean, Derek, now Derek Carr showed something um, that I think that the Broncos have to adjust to and be ready for in this next game. He got the ball out quick a lot of times, a lot of quick passes, a lot of quick outs. And uh, Fangio did not make some adjustments that I think um, when they were just getting out quick, we needed to get up to the line, get closer. We had guys still drop back. And so, you know, the, the passes were um, uh, coming out really quick from Derek Carr. Yes. So speaking of passing from Derek Carr, let's talk about the defensive backs. Defensive backs. Defensive backs. All right. So Chris Harris Jr. is still good at football. I know yep. this because Derek Carr did not want to throw at Chris Harris Jr. the entire game. <laughs> he went to the other side of the field Oh yeah. where number two cornerback Bryce Callahan was hurt. He was out of the game. Uh, he hasn't come back to practice yet. It's not looking good for his availability for Chicago. Hopefully he'll be back in week three. And I very much hope that he's back because that meant Isaac Yadam had to play opposite Chris Harris Jr., and Carr was just throwing against him the entire game. Yeah, boy, Chris Harris still, um, you know, still a good football player. Uh, good at 
you know, making them just not throw at him at all. Yeah. Man made some nice tackles too. Yeah. You know, you, you know, I, this is kind of well-known information, but Chris Harris for his size can really get somebody down and you know, he's got one of the tackles for loss. And I don't remember the play exactly, but I think they put him out one-on-one, but he, you know, throw one-on-one and just get the solo tackle. And you just see Chris Harris Jr. Make that play time and time again. Um, yeah, I had, um, Oh boy. That was, you know, Derek Carr is a smart quarterback. He looks at, you know, who the weak player is. I was thinking earlier about, you know, we were talking about uh, players that they get you really excited and then they get like really like, you know, they really get the defense all jazzed. And then some sometimes guys take it too far, like a keep to leave, right? Like yeah. hey, sometimes what was that play when he like rips the guy's like necklace off? Oh, uh, Michael Crabtree from the yeah. Oakland Raiders. Yeah, and then he gets pulled, and Derek Carr goes right at his replacement. Hmm. And I don't remember what the replacement was. If it was, it was Roby, Roby. Or, it was Roby. Yeah. So it goes right at him and scores. And so Derek Carr's a veteran quarterback. He knows what to look for. He sees Gaidam and man, just shot after shot. And uh, now, in the you know, since we're covering defensive backs here, I thought that Kareem Jackson played pretty well. And I thought he brought a little energy to the game. And um, I, I was, I was wishing they would have switched out Gaidam and and put him out in the corner. Yeah. Uh... Tyrell Williams has the big game for him. Uh, six receptions, 105 yards. When I say for them, I mean the Oakland Raiders. He was their big receiving threat. Yeah. And he scores his touchdown against Justin Simmons. But I actually like Justin Simmons in coverage. I like Kareem Jackson in coverage. I like your idea that, yeah, they probably should have brought Kareem Jackson down, just made him a cornerback for the rest of the game, and had Will Parks on the back end. Because... At the end of the game, on a stop that they had to have, they threw right at Isaac Yadam and got the first down. That's, I think, a frustrating part about the modern NFL to me, too, is that you cut the field in half with your corner, so you have them just on one side of the field and they just never move over there, so it allows someone like Carr to just, well, target the other side versus going with that Revis Island approach where it's one-on-one and I'm shutting you down and you're on Revis Island today. But I, I yeah. wish that on that play, they would have made an effort to make sure him. Chris Harris Jr. was on Williams to shut yeah. him down. Yeah, I agree. I think that's what was obviously necessary in that, that scenario. Yeah. And, and again, I think that that's where, you know, disappointed. I know Fangio for being such an experienced defensive coach. He's a, he's a rookie head coach. And I hope to see him, um, you know, adjust better over time and uh, get my fingers crossed. And newsflash for the Denver Broncos, a an, an opposing tight end, uh, does very well against them. Yeah, that's a thing that happens. <laughs> yeah, Darren Waller, seven receptions, 70 yards, looks good. Pretty much it was just a game of Williams and Waller. Yeah, now the our difficulty with guarding a tight end was self-evident. However, I did think Kareem Jackson had a couple good plays on the tight end in the second half of that game, so... You know, I'm hoping that maybe maybe that's part of the answer. Right. So now let's get down to. Oh, I guess we should grade them. Let's grade our DBs. Oh <laughs> man. So when you've got one F, one uh, a solid a, F, can you get you lower got, than an F? <laughs> you got an F, an A, and then a bunch of Bs and Cs. Uh, I'm gonna go. Uh, overall, the, you know, it's a bad game for our defensive backs. Um, you know, Derek Carr is 12 of 26, no interception, rating of 121. 
Um, it's tough on those guys when we're not getting, you know, we're not rushing, but that ball was coming out fast and we weren't jamming. We weren't doing anything to stop the ball. So uh, I'm, I'm not going to give him a D. I'm going to go C minus. I'm going to say that was a bad defensive backfield game as a whole because it's not just defensive backs are just, they don't stand alone. The whole team back there, if you just leave one guy open, well, that's bad. You're a far more generous grader than I am. That's what I've learned. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to give them a D plus, And the only reason why they get the plus is because Chris Harris Jr. Can still ball. Yeah, he's a good player. All right. So let's talk about the, the MVP of the game, Brandon McManus. Brandon McManus can kick the ball and that one ball that was real long or the, the kick what was it 64 yeah yarder. 64 yards that would have gone in at 62 but... yeah, I know and he's at sea level you know, yeah that, this is in Denver yeah he's right there in Oakland and uh 64 yarder he is dead center on that thing and he's just short in Denver that flies over with a couple extra yards sure probably. he'll make that at 68 in Denver yeah, so, uh, you know, McManus, he gets an A. Oh, yeah, he gets a solid A. He was excellent in that game. I'm glad. It goes back to that uh, John Fox Kubiak thing where you go for the win, where I loved it that they sent Brandon McManus out there to kick that 64-yarder. Yeah, like, don't me try too. You could do a Hail Mary with Joe Flacco. Like, that's a way better Hail Mary situation than our previous quarterbacks. Actually, a guy right. who can make it into the end zone. But right. you also have one of the strongest-legged kickers in the NFL. Let him yep. go out there and potentially make a 64-yarder. And he was only two yards short. So, look great. Yep. Good job, McManus. All right, so <laughs> next week, the Denver Broncos play the Chicago Bears. It's the Vic Fangio game. Yep. You're actually going to be there. Yep, going to be there. Going to be cheering them on. All right. Super stoked. Excited so, for that game. So do you have any predictions for the game? So I'm actually pretty worried about this one. Um, I, You know, there's some history of bad luck when you play your former, former team as a coach. Um, so, you know, I, what I am hoping for, um, you know, the, the, I think the bears have a lot to prove after the last game. I think the Broncos have a lot to prove. I am hoping that that bears offense continues to look as woeful as they were. And if the Denver Broncos can just stay at their current level on offense and then, you know, if they can't sack Trubisky, they deserve to lose. So I'm predicting a Broncos win by 10. Ah, yeah, that's what I like to hear. I would yeah. also say a Broncos win because Denver is really, really good at home in the first month of the season. Yeah, that's true. They get to go home for their home opener maybe Von Miller will be a little bit more juiced up for this game and get at Trubisky. Yep. But yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> I don't really got a good statistical prediction for him. Like I want to say Von Miller gets two sacks and Philip Lindsay gets a hundred yards, but you know, that's just wishful. No, I, 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 if we get the exact same offensive game and this is where I'm different than some other people who have looked at this game. We have the exact same offensive game, but we don't hold on those two possessions and Hamilton catches the ball. You're looking at a team that's scoring in the mid twenties and that's all we need that with a little bit better defense, we're going to win a lot of games. So the Denver Broncos aren't built to have an elite high scoring offense. We need a quarterback that's going to get 250 yards, throw in one, one touchdown, no interceptions couple of running touchdowns, couple of field goals. You know, that's all we need. I am very excited to see Joe Flacco throwing in that Broncos air or that mile high air. Yeah. For the first so time that, since that, he was yeah. Raven. Yeah. So. That, that Emmanuel Sanders pass would have gone for a touchdown in Denver. Oh, for sure. Yeah. 
All right. Well, that will do it for us until next week. I am still Sean Hanks. And I am mostly still Dan Hanks. Mostly Dan Hanks. And we will talk with you next week about the Denver Broncos Chicago Bear game. Talk to you later. Broncos. This has been a production of Values First.